If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel. Look at chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. I know last week during um, sermon discussion, we mentioned the fact that uh, this series is supposed to be over in a few short weeks, and we're only on uh, chapter 6, and uh, we're still in chapter 6. So, <clears throat> sorry. We're just going to stream through the rest of it at some point here, but... Um, uh, Luke 6, verses 27 to 36. So, yeah, again, we're in a series on the life of Jesus Christ, and uh, this morning we're talking about his commandment, uh, because included in his life and his works are his teachings, and he's got uh, this teaching, this commandment, this law, that is, uh, we are supposed to love our enemies. Love your enemies. Uh, We live in a society, I think, that has taken the edge off of this commandment uh, because most people are generally pretty nice to each other, right? We're supposed to be nice. Uh, We're supposed to be polite and friendly. We've made it difficult even to think of who might qualify as our enemies uh, because everybody's so nice to each other. It's really not not very nice to say that someone is your enemy, right? Um, But it's not that we actually don't have enemies It's just that we've mastered the art of illusion, tricking ourselves into thinking that we don't live in the midst of a world of enemies. Um, And that's a frightening thought. It's it's an unbearable thought to have enemies. So, um, you know, let's let's just all agree to minimize uh, the enmities in our lives. Can we all just get along, right? Makes things easier for everybody. Um, And if we can manage that, then what use do we have for this impossible ethic? If we can manage to just be nice to everybody and everybody's nice to us and can't really think of many enemies that we have, what use do we have for Jesus' command, his impossible uh, ethic here? Loving your enemies is impossible. If you really know what it means, uh, loving your enemies is impossible. It means more, uh, it means a lot more than just tolerating an annoying person for a short amount of time. Um, or being nice to someone who's not quite as nice as you are, right? It means more than those things. Uh, Jesus is talking about something that's impossibly unnatural to everyone when he says, love your enemies. It's, you know, good thing we can't really think of many enemies that we're supposed to love, so we're not really challenged by Jesus' commandment here, right? Um, God doesn't let, let us get away with that. And it's a good thing, too, because the love of an enemy, the love of one's enemy, is one of the most amazing things we could ever consider. It really is a beautiful thing to love your enemies. It's one of the great, unique teachings of Christianity. So uh, let's consider it. So this morning as we read, um, we're going to think about three things. What does it mean, or what does it look like, to love your enemy? Who is your enemy? And then uh, third, how? How can you actually do that? How can you actually love your enemy? So what does it look like? Who is your enemy? And how can you love your enemy? Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll read from Luke's Gospel. Father, as we come to you this morning uh, to consider your word, we ask for your help. We, um, We wouldn't know you. We wouldn't know your grace. Uh, We wouldn't know your expectations or uh, your help to meet your expectations 
um, if it weren't for your word. And so we know you've been gracious to us. We know you've helped us already in putting this, uh, your scriptures before us. And we pray that you would do the um, special work of making us able to read and hear your word and not resist it, not reject it, uh, because that is our natural tendency as people who are bent against you as rebels and your enemies. And so uh, we pray that you would overcome our natural enmity, our natural resistance to your word, that you would help us to receive it, to be changed by it more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So what does it mean to love your enemy? What does it look like? Uh, we have an amazing example of it in many accounts of those who suffer persecution, uh, especially in what many of the, the Christian martyrs have said at the time of their death. You know, read through a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs and see the way that they um, called not upon God's judgment but upon God's mercy for the people who were burning them at the stake or whatever they were doing to them. But um, The first Christian martyr, uh, we see Stephen in Acts chapter 7 after he had uh, preached a sermon, it upset some people, and this is what happened. It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Um, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Uh, it's an extreme example of what it means to love your enemies. While inspiring, it really doesn't connect too much with our everyday lives. We're not really going to go through this kind of thing pretty frequently. Maybe 
um, maybe once at most, right, in our lives we would uh, encounter this kind of a persecution. But, um, but what does it mean to love your enemy? What does it look like? What's at the core of what's going on when one loves one's enemy? What's at the core of what's going on in Stephen's life or in the martyrs' lives or in our lives as we are supposed to love our enemies? Uh, Jesus says it in a few different ways. Uh, he says in verses 27 and 28, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So those are some examples. It means a lot of things. When other people express hostility towards you, when they reveal hostility against you, don't express or reveal the same thing. Uh, express or reveal a favorable disposition toward them. Uh, when others reject you in various ways, don't reject them back. Accept them and welcome them and give to them. Um, when others write you off or they laugh at you, don't disdain them. Don't try to cut them down, but build them up and pray for them that they would be built up. Uh, when people don't pursue your good, when they even actively pursue your harm, you pursue their good. You be a friend to them. Um, as uh, Yvette read in the Old Testament reading from Proverbs 24, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Do not say, I'll do to him as he's done to me. I'll pay the man back for what he's done. So um, just kind of a side note, this business about loving your enemies is not, is not uh, to say, let's ignore justice. Right, let's not ignore justice and righteousness. Uh, that passage from Proverbs was interspersed with, I don't know if you heard it, Proverbs advocating for true justice. And, um, and God gave the pursuit of justice, the righting of wrongs, and the doing of all right, you know. Uh, he gave the pursuit of justice to the community, and one day he will bring about perfect justice in all the world. But we are not to pursue this kind of retaliatory vengeance which is the natural response that we have to those who do us harm, um, which is basically our, our judging and taking justice into our own hands as individuals, uh, which is inevitably going to be perverted justice, distorted justice, right? So, uh, but it's not to say ignore justice. There should be justice, and one day there will be justice, but um, we're not to pursue it for ourselves, and we're not to delight when our enemy uh, falls, right? So <clears throat> Jesus' commandment to love your enemies, it, it means more than just not getting back at them for what they've done. It means more than just kind of walking the other way and, uh, and not fighting back. Um, it means working for their good. It means even going out of your way to work for their good, right? It says in Exodus 23, if you meet your enemy's ox... Or his donkey, going astray, you shall bring it back to him. That's not an easy thing to do, wrangling an ox or a donkey uh, for your enemy. You shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, like it can't get up because it's got too much on its back, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You're going out of your way to do good for your enemy. So here's a modern example, maybe. Uh, let's say you have an enemy in the workplace. It's someone who spoke 
poorly of you to your boss and ended up with the promotion that you wanted. I want the promotion, he speaks evil of me, I don't get the promotion, he gets the promotion. Uh, that hurts. <laughs> that makes you very angry. Um, and one day you see your enemy overwhelmed, about to fail in his job, maybe get demoted, maybe even get fired, and instead of saying, yes, um, you set aside your own work and you help him to succeed. So he doesn't lose his job, so he doesn't get a demotion, so he actually succeeds. Um, that's difficult. <laughs> Jesus says in verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to them. It's the familiar golden rule, right? Do unto others. And um, we often believe, and I think we maybe teach our kids too, if we treat others how we want to be treated, then they'll reciprocate and they'll treat us how we want to be treated, right? That's kind of how the golden rule is uh, popularly used in our culture, but that's not how Jesus is using it. It comes in the context of loving your enemies, and an enemy is someone who is not going to treat you as you wish they would treat you. That's kind of the definition. They're not going to treat you how you wish to be treated, but you're supposed to do so to them. Jesus says our love has to go beyond reciprocity. Um, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Literally, the word is, what grace is that to you? Um, for even sinners love those who love them. It's normal for us to have these transactional relationships. I give and you give. I'll be nice, you be nice. I love, you love. That's transactions. Sometimes that's manipulations um, to get what we want. It's reciprocal. But that's nothing. That's That's nothing. That's not true love. That's not divine love. That's not Christian love doing that. That's just how you act when uh, there happen to be more than one self-centered person. When I want to be treated as a king, and you also want to be treated as a king or a queen, the best that sinners can come up with is sort of a, an unspoken mutual agreement that you know, you're just going to treat each other well. Um, but Jesus is saying, take someone who will never treat you well, who will never treat you the way you want to be treated, and you treat them like a king or a queen. So, <clears throat> who is that person? Who is your enemy? Now, let's start with the definition that your enemy is someone who is not going to treat you the way that you wish to be treated. Uh, and if you're honest about how you wish to be treated, you're going to say that your enemy is anyone who doesn't treat you like you're the center of the universe, <laughs> right? I want to be treated like the center of the universe, so anybody who doesn't want to treat me that way at some point is my enemy. That's everybody, right? Because everybody wishes that everybody else would treat them that way. That's how we are, because we're sinners. We're self-centered, ultimately. Um, and naturally speaking, that means that we have conflict with everyone else that is also naturally self-centered. Um, so that seems a bit broad, maybe. Everybody could qualify as your enemy. Let's adjust our definition to say that your enemy is someone 
who's not going to treat you the way that God wants them to treat you. They're not going to treat you the way that God wants them to treat you. That's still everybody. (laughs) Still everybody, because everybody breaks God's law in their interactions with other people. Nobody fully or properly honors the image of God, the imago dei, in other people. Remember, God created us in his own image, and that fact should be, it is explicitly said in the Bible, it should be part, a huge part of why we treat others with tremendous dignity and love and justice. The fact that everybody else is created in the image of God also, that, that should drive our interactions with people. And there is a sense in which you deserve to be treated like a king or a queen because you bear the image of the one true king of the universe. There's a sense in which you deserve that. And everybody else does. But everyone ignores the image of God in others or even spites the image of God in others. So no one treats anyone else how God wants us to treat each other. No one treats you the way God wants them to treat you. So I I just don't think we can get around the fact that we live in a world of enemies, or at least a world of potential enemies. Um, Even inside the church. Even inside the church, as we often consider one another, um, we find that we've got enemies. You know, relationships are usually complicated. They're tangled messes. We can't figure out who's at fault, uh, who's wrongfully angry or wrongfully hurt. or It's a tangled mess. Unfortunately, there are people in the church who dislike us. Right? There are people who dislike us, people um, on whom maybe we're naturally inclined to take vengeance for the way that they've treated us, even in the church. So, good news, you've got many more opportunities to love your enemy than you thought you did. You've got a lot of opportunities to love your enemies. It's especially easy for us to see our enemies as those who mock us or abuse us for being Christians in particular. That's Um, that's probably the main enemy that Jesus is describing here as he's teaching his disciples. But any relationship with anyone at any moment uh, could hold hostility. It could be a chance for you to do what Jesus is talking about here. Um, It could be someone who's actively persecuted you for your faith. It could be someone who has deliberately hurt you in a relationship. It's uh, someone who's unintentionally offended you, who's slighted you, who has ignored you. Uh, someone who just hasn't treat you, treated you as you wish to be treated or not actively sought your good according to God's law. That's, I mean, it's, it's a range. There's a spectrum here, right? Other people are on this spectrum of uh, enmity, really. So how can you love your enemies? Because it seems like a pretty tall order, right? Someone is not going to reciprocate love to you. You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to give to them and bless them and pray them. Uh, pray for them. They're, they're, they're not going to treat you how you want to be treated, but you're supposed to treat them how you'd want to be treated. Plenty of psychologists would say that that's self-destructive. Don't do that. You've got to look out for number one. Those people don't matter as much as you do. Psychological trauma awaits those who love their enemies. Jesus knows that loving your enemies is more than difficult, it's more than painful, it's more than self-destructive. It's more than self-destructive. It's it's impossible. Self-centered people who ignore the image of God in others, like we do, 
we don't love our enemies, we don't do good to them, we don't bless them, we don't pray for them or give to them, John Calvin said, no one will ever come to obey this precept until he has given up self-love. Until he's given up self-love. It's only possible to truly love your enemies if you are not ultimately self-centered, self-protective, self-advancing. It is only possible to truly love your enemies if you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in perfect, steadfast love and forgiveness. Who does that sound like? That only describes one being, and that is God. And in fact, that's exactly what God said about himself in Exodus 34. He's, he's revealed himself to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness. God doesn't just have love. Love is not just something God gives to people or shows to people. God is love because God is a trinity. God has his being as three persons in perfect self-giving communion. Right? God is love of other in a way that we cannot begin to fathom. And, and love of enemy is the perfect love of other. It's the perfect love of other. You can't get more other than enemy. So love of enemy is the perfect love of other. So only the triune God, the God who is eternally and infinitely love of other, only the triune God perfectly loves his enemies. Uh, and it's only in this God do we find real freedom from our self-love freedom to begin to love our enemies and treat them the way that, they, that, uh, that we'd want to be treated. You don't need to know God in order to have a reciprocal transactional love. That's normal. You don't, for sinners. Um, you don't need to know God for that. But to love those who don't reciprocate, you have to know God. You have to know this God. And that's why Jesus addresses his commandment in the very first words of our passage, to you who hear, it's, it's to you who hear, right? Those who have ears to hear, it's throughout the Gospels, it's those who respond to Jesus with trust rather than rejection. It's like sheep who recognize and respond to their shepherd's voice. Those who hear are those who know God through faith in Jesus Christ who are assured of a familial relationship with God. God is our Father. If you're assured of that, then you hear his voice. And it's to you who hear that Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, love your enemies, in verse 35 and 36, do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This passage is not saying that you will become sons or daughters of the Most High if you love your enemies. It's you will be like. You will display the family resemblance. You will be like your Father who is merciful, the Most High, if you love your enemies. So this presupposes the relationship with God where we have him as our Father. 
Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That presupposes that relationship. Your Father is merciful. Be merciful like Him. Reflect His love of enemies in your love of enemies. And the only way that this is possible is when you know that He is your Father because His love has overcome your enmity. His love has overcome your enmity. It's one of the most amazing things that we can consider is that the Most High God loves His enemies. That's who the Most High God is, is the one who loves his enemies. It says in Romans 5, While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's the kind of God that he is to give his son's very life for people who were his enemies. Imagine how difficult it is for you to love your enemies and then multiply that by infinity. Right? Um, and then you've got the magnitude of God's merciful love toward you. Toward you. That he would give up the life of his son for someone like you and, and me. Right? He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's us, right? We're the ungrateful. We don't reciprocate. We're the evil. We don't deserve God's love. He loves people who don't reciprocate his love. He loves people who don't deserve his love. The Father is merciful, and his Son is merciful, right? He laid down his life for people who certainly don't treat him as he deserves in order to treat them to treat us as he deserves. He, Jesus, is the true son of the Most High. He's the one who perfectly loves his enemies. And that was us. And it was of us that he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <clears throat> of all the people who never deserved to have a single enemy, And he loved them all perfectly. The world was full of his enemies. We are the ones who put him up there on the cross and we laughed at him as he died. And he said that of us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He loved us. He did good to us. He blessed us. He prayed for us. He gave his life for us. He pleaded that his father would treat us like he deserved to be treated. He treated us like he deserved to be treated. Jesus shares his sonship with us. He is the son of the Most High, and he shares that with us. We don't deserve it, but he shares it with us. And so through his spirit, we're united to him so that we actually are truly sons and daughters of the Most High God, the one who is merciful. <clears throat> so everything that is his, everything that belongs to the true son of the Most High, everything that is his is ours because of his mercy. And that means that the spirit of the son of the Most High is ours. And his spirit lives in us. And now it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. As Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer we who live, in our distorted self-love, 
It's Christ who lives in us by his spirit, who is the spirit of the love of other, the spirit of the the son of the most high, the one who truly loves his enemies. In him, we're free from self-love. We're free to love others who are ungrateful and evil to us. We're free to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. And that, that freedom is a beautiful, delightful thing. That freedom to truly love your enemy is a beautiful thing. Everybody marvels at it when someone loves their enemy. It's beautiful when we see it in Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing in the whole history of the universe when we see it in Jesus. It's beautiful when we see it in Stephen and in the other martyrs when they forgive those who have uh, hated them, when they love those who have, and they pray for those who are killing them. So probably none of your enemies will do this to you, even if they wanted to. But even if they did, we can more than endure, more than endure that kind of a treatment, that kind of a hostility. It can be a joy to follow Jesus in that selfless love for our enemies. By the Spirit, we can call upon God to forgive our enemies. They can take what belongs to us and we can give them more. They can speak evil of us and we can build them up and speak well of them. They can work against us and we can pursue their good. They can treat us with disdain and we can treat them like royalty. Because that's exactly how our relationship with God went. We were his enemies and now we're his sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of the Most High because of his grace. So let's uh, delight to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you truly are beautiful to us in your love of people like us. And we say the same thing of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we say the same thing of your Spirit who dwells in us. You are beautiful because you are love. And we pray that as we find ourselves in you by faith, that you would make us beautiful to some degree, to whatever degree it is possible that we are able to reflect your love in our lives. We pray that you would make us beautiful like you are beautiful. You would make us merciful to those who are ungrateful and evil, even as you have been merciful to us. We pray that your love would um, capture our hearts and capture our minds and our attention and our focus and our vision in such a way that uh, we would always be driven by it, that uh, your love and your beauty and your mercy to us through Jesus Christ would truly transform us into people who reflect you as we go about our daily lives um, with people who are not like us, with people who are uh, even sometimes against us, even to great and harmful degrees. We pray that you would do this because only you can do this. Only you can free us from the self-love Uh, so that we can truly love one another as you have commanded us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.